If you have a really great idea for a game and then you come into our program and you build it, we have an entrepreneurship center and an innovation center that can help you get your business together and off the ground so that you can actually have a business before you finish school. Select CT. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Select CT podcast, a production of Quinnipiac University and the University of Connecticut in partnership with Digital Media Connecticut. This is a podcast about the digital media industry, and we got a great episode today. Today, we're going to be talking about gaming, uh, building the gaming community in Connecticut with a little bit of a focus on Game Dev CT, which is a pretty cool initiative. So joining us today, we have Bernard Francois. He is the founder of Preview Labs. They actually create prototypes of video games. It's a pretty cool Cool thing that they do. Welcome, Bernard. Thank you. And also, we have Elena Bertozzi. She is Director of Game Design and Development at Quinnipiac University. She's a game designer and a developer. She makes games that help people help themselves, actually, which is pretty cool. Her research interests include the intersections of gender, technology, and sexuality. And we're really excited to have Elena here as well. Thanks, for Elena, for being here. Thank you. And last, but certainly, definitely not least, we have Kim Hefia. She's a research scientist at the Yale School of Medicine, and she's also the Director of of the Play for Real XR Lab, which I learned recently, XR is mixed reality. That's pretty cool. Is that that's I got that right, Kim? Is that XR is mixed reality? Is that correct? Uh, it could be all types of different forms of uh, kind of realities. So it could be AR, VR, mixed reality, kind of encompass okay. all of that. Very cool. So we'll talk more about that and I will learn along with our listeners. So this is super cool. So I want to talk just briefly about what each of you do. So Bernard, can you just tell me what exactly is it that you do when you're, when you talk about creating prototypes of video games, what is that process like and how do you work with uh, programmers and developers to do the work that you do? Yeah, basically uh, clients come to us that want to test the concept and, and kind of see it for the first time in order to learn whether this is going to be an interesting game or not because if you just think of a game um just by thinking about it you can't necessarily determine accurately whether this is this game is going to work it's going to be as fun as you envision it to be so you actually have to play it and test it and um the only way really to to do that and uh, instead of just having to build it out all the way until you have the final game and then the work is already done um it would be to do prototyping so you basically uh, that's what we do. We develop a first quick prototype so they can kind of see the essence of the game. And and we do this by working with programmers who actually program uh, yeah, the gameplay, the, the core, uh, the most important features of it. Um, and in some cases, we also work together with artists. So it really depends on the prototype itself, um, what is essential in terms of if, if we need more of a focus on just programming and, and using very simple artwork, or if there's a if it's a game that inherently requires a, a certain type of art to, to be able to be understood and to be evaluated, then we, we work with artists as well. So I imagine that's something that a high school student or a college student, if they're curious in game design, wouldn't necessarily consider is something that is out there, right? They, you know, as a as somebody who wants to get into game design, they wouldn't m- maybe think that there's a company that's prototyping. Um, so, Elena, tell me a little bit about the work that you do. Uh, just briefly describe um, some of the d- games that you work on and sort of why you design games that seem to have a higher purpose and they're not solely for entertainment. Thanks uh, for asking. So, yeah, my work. Uh, so, I, I am the director of the game design program at Quinnipiac, which we can talk about more later. My own personal work is really about 
How do we give people the tools to make um, changes in their own lives that will benefit themselves and, and their health often? So very often when we try to encourage behavior change, we sort of preach at people or we tell people what they, we think they should do. And the wonderful thing about games is that you can use empathy and put people in a situation where they experience something, and then they can make the decisions about what they're going to do. So for example, the last three years, my team has been working on a game uh, deployed in India that collects uh, information about um, family planning intentions, like how many children do people want to have, how far apart should they be spaced. And then in the process of doing that, we also give them information about sex and sexuality and, and what are the best forms of birth control to use to achieve the family that you want to create. And it turns out that giving people this information in a game allows them to explore that you know sensitive and sometimes difficult to communicate information in a way that allows them to, to be playful and not embarrassed or ashamed about it. And we're also able to demonstrate real behavior change based on the information that we've given people. So I've done several different games of this kind. And, and that's what I love about games and play is that you can introduce topics that are difficult for people to talk about or very controversial sometimes in everyday life and inside a game environment, give people a different way to approach it. And Kim, you also do similar work as well, right? So the, the games that you're working on over at Yale also have more of a purpose to them than, than solely entertainment. Can you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so we mostly focus on teens and young adults, uh, again, with a focus of behavior change. Uh, most of our games are around health prevention or health promotion. Uh, and we really focus on the idea of giving teens the opportunity to practice skills in a game, whether that's refusal skills, decision-making skills. Um, like Alan is saying, you know, games are a very safe space for kids to practice uh, decision-making, make wrong choices, kind of see those outcomes and those consequences without having to experience the, that in real life. So we really focus on games for uh, uh, behavior change and, and decision-making skill practice. Um, and we, um, where our lab maybe is, kind of unique is we both develop and evaluate our games. So we do a lot, um, our games are pilot tested and um, often uh, rigorously evaluated in randomized controlled trials. So a game project can often take several years from start to finish. I mean, I just think this is one of the really, really cool things about Kim's lab is that you know a lot of what, what we call gamification or serious play or applied games um, people make assertions about um, what those gains will accomplish without actually demonstrating that they are effective. And the thing that's really wonderful about Kim's lab and the work that they do there is that they they define this, the kind of behavior change they seek to um, achieve, and then they actually test and see if they have achieved it. Um, and that is a piece that's missing in a lot of other work. And, and that's one reason we're, we're so, like our game program sends as many interns as we can to to that program because they learn so much there in terms of how do you build a game that's really achieved, you know, that's seeking to achieve a specific goal, and then how do you see whether or not you've succeeded in doing that? And this is one reason there's such a big market right now in developing what we call serious or applied games because they're very effective ways of teaching and training if you build them very carefully, understanding the process of achieving behavior change and you're rigorous about testing to see whether or not you've, you've actually done what you said you were going to do. 
And yeah, I was looking at Bernard's website, and Bernard, you all prototyped a game where you were operating a forklift, and it seems like that's also a way that you could train somebody to operate a piece of machinery, in which case um, there wouldn't be the risks of getting hurt if they did something wrong, but they can you know, learn all the, uh, the functions of the pieces or the various things that are on the forklift without having to worry about you know, getting hurt. And so I wonder, you know, from the perspective of people who think of games, they might think, oh, video games are rotting the minds of America's youth. You know, you guys have sort of flipped this on its head and said, well, there's these practical applications that you can use augmented reality or virtual reality to Kim's point to teach teens about the effects of their behaviors, um, but also train people with jobs. So what would you say to people who say, you know, video games generally, you know, rotten people's brains, but you guys are sort of flipping that on its head. Uh, Kim, I'll start with you. What, what's sort of your, your response to people who say video games tend to not have any sort of application that could be valuable? Right. Well, I think we, you know, as um, kind of research is progressing, we do have a lot of evidence to support that games can create behavior change and increase empathy and uh, can pro- provide opportunities like embodiment. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really interesting research out there that now really kind of supports that, you know, this is kind of what I like to think of um, kind of good media. You know, um, when we think of what kids are, kids are consuming all types of media anyway. So whenever I talk to schools about it, I, I try to focus it that way. Like, you know, kids are going to be spending time on their computers and, and their phones and all kinds of devices anyway. So why not kind of give them some good stuff to kind of, uh, you know, take in? So, um, so, yeah, so I like to look at it that way. And Elena, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, I feel like the pandemic, I think, uh, as we were talking before this recording, I said that I've been interviewed by, I think, four or five media outlets over the course of the pandemic because uh, everyone being at home has finally sort of shifted the narrative of what video games can be and how they can be actually a very positive force. So many people just look at a very narrow group of video games when they want to complain about video games. But Video games are an enormous, varied market with a huge indie developing population and many super interesting games even coming out of the big AAA houses. And most people who don't play games have no idea of the variety and complexity and beauty of of so many of the games in the the video game industry now. And I think um, now is really the time to go explore all kinds of games and see the benefits of playing them. When you look at video games and entertainment, of course, it's possible to abuse video games and, and, and to play video games too much, uh, just like it happens with other forms of entertainment, such as television and such. Um, it can also be very therapeutic. Uh, it, it can be a distraction and that can also be useful. And also a lot of people are just enjoying video games. And uh, so I, I would definitely argue that um, yeah, the majority of, of players are getting uh, benefits out of playing video games. Um, and indeed, there's a lot of other applications of, of game technology. Um, we've been talking about some behavior change now, and, 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 and you mentioned simulation in terms of the forklift simulator for safety simulation and training. Um, there's also other possibilities with the same technology. There's ways of, of visualizing data that is really rich and interactive. Um, and outside of behavior uh, there's also more medical uses in, in terms of dis- distraction from uh, with virtual reality. They use a virtual reality headset to distract patients from certain procedures. Um, 
so that would otherwise be uncomfortable. Um, so that there's definitely a lot of possibilities and, and people often also think of games, even within entertainment as, as something very narrow, like, okay, it's all shooters, but there's a lot of, um, very creative games, uh, very artistic games. There's uh, a lot of different types of puzzle games. So it, it's uh, only a small fraction of of, uh, of games that portray a certain form of uh, violence. Uh, I find the the idea that games having this broader definition opens up the possibilities, and you all are addressing many of them in terms of. Um, you know, simulating what it's like to operate machinery or to make decisions or to distract you from a, a surgery. And I wonder if, you know, this broader definition, um, when you talk about from, from the player's perspective, right? So people who actually enjoy playing games probably don't think of these other ways that games can be applied. Um, so I'm wondering for from your perspective as people who work to, with who design games and work with other developers and programmers and all these different kinds of aspects of gaming, do you find that there is a disconnect often between players who are really interested in the sort of culture of gaming and enjoy playing games and say, oh, this is something I love so much, I would love to, to actually get into gaming or to designing gaming, right? Designing games. But then once they realize the skill set required to actually design the game requires, you know, this, these certain abilities that maybe aren't that interesting to them, that they aren't that interested. Is there a disconnect between the skills required to design a game and the act just interesting in actually playing a game? Well, definitely. I mean, when we do our, our program um, sessions, we often have, you know, a lot of people there who are interested in, in game design and development because they love to play games. And I have to explain that building games is much harder than playing games. Um, so all of our students have to learn programming because games are a digital-based medium. At least our program is a digital game design and development. So everyone has to learn programming, but we also want everyone to learn programming. I, I fundamentally believe that we need programming as a kind of literacy in our current technologically mediated world and that everyone should learn programming languages in the same way, when I was young, we learned, you know, French or Spanish as, as another language to be a citizen of the world. Um, so I, I firmly believe we should be teaching all kids programming. And that one of the reasons um, playing games as a child is so good is because it actually opens your mind to the idea that you could program and that you could make games. So many of the people who became famous game designers started programming when they were young because they were so interested in games that they wanted to be able to make them. So I see, you know, programming and, and digital literacy as a kind of way to get into um, programming and, and feeling very creative about programming. Personally, I'm very focused, like I've been a feminist my whole life and I want women to be, I want more, more women to be engaged in, in designing and building video games because a lot of video game development is done by males. And one reason women are reluctant to become game designers is because they're worried about programming. And so I feel very strongly that we should have more women programmers and more women game developers, and that playing games is a sort of way to want to do that. Mm. 
And I feel like that's probably could be a topic for its own episode for sure. Um, getting more women engaged in designing video games. But as you, as you and Kim are two women in the field, uh, Kim, I wanted to ask you, um, working specifically in Connecticut, what is the gaming industry like here? Do you feel like Connecticut has a lot to offer or that its offerings aren't necessarily understood? Because it seems like I, I would assume that, um, some students in college who graduate with gaming degrees might look at New York City or L.A. Uh, for game design, or maybe there are other areas that I'm not even aware of. How does Connecticut sort of fit into that landscape? Well, you know, our the way our lab approaches this is, is much different in the sense that we don't actually have in-house programmers. So we work with partners such as uh, Preview Labs, and, you know, we've worked with Elena and, and um, Quinnipiac students. Um, so our expertise actually is di- are different in the sense that we're coming from the research end or the research perspective of games and intervention game, you know, the intervention, kind of the theory behind how we develop games. So we often partner with game um, de- developers and designers. Um, that being said, we tend to work locally um, here in Connecticut. Um, you know, our games are built from the bottom up. So we like to think of them like games for teens by teens. So we're working with the with the local community. Um, we're bringing in kids as voice actors and from local schools. We're you know bringing in students, high school students, college students, anyone that's really interested in understanding more about these types of games. We're bringing into our lab. Um, so in terms of Connecticut, I mean that's kind of where we our hub in which we try to to really work. Um, just because we really one want like to keep this our games kind of this um, within the community, uh, you know, kind of community based uh, development of games. Um, but yeah, so Bernard can probably speak more to that because he's really quite involved in the in the uh, kind of the climate here in Connecticut. Yeah. So um, yeah, what I did is I started this group, uh, Game Dev CT. So we're aiming to bring together everybody in the games industry in Connecticut and by extension, um, people interested in game development, including students um, and of course other stakeholders such as uh, research labs and and schools teaching uh, game development skills. And um, this is also because there is not that much games industry in Connecticut yet. So there's definitely interest and there are people that are doing hobbyist projects. and, And I strongly believe by bringing people together that this industry can grow in our state. Um, so some people go to New York for to work in uh, from Connecticut, for example, and and, and same at Boston, and, and um, so that that's something that um, yeah we want to encourage by starting at at, at the basis of, of students and and then uh, taking it further to uh, towards the industry as well. So the amount of games companies in Connecticut is very limited. It, it's only a handful. Um, so that that's definitely something we want to see uh, and grow, and and I strongly believe that by bringing people together, uh, that this is going to happen. So, what advice would you have, Bernard, for students interested in gaming that they are pursuing a gaming degree, um, but then? They might not see the opportunities in Connecticut. Is there a chance to create their own opportunities? Are there chances to, you know, build something from scratch here? What do, what do you think about that? Yeah, of course, it's, it's possible. So that's one of the things that's, that is useful with the games industry, that it doesn't necessarily require you to be in a specific location. Uh, and maybe with the current situation with the coronavirus, people are going to realize that even a bit more. And, and I do know people from Connecticut that actually work on a distributed team. 
So definitely it's possible to find jobs um, even for companies out of the state uh, while being in Connecticut. And, 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 and if you keep your eyes open and, 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 and for example, go to the Game Dev City events by, and, and meeting other people, you can find really interesting projects. And, and what can start as a hobby project can turn into an actual business if, once you start selling the game. And if, it, if, if, if you did it really well and it takes off, then yeah, that, that's uh, definitely possible. So the website for Game Dev CT for interested listeners is Game Dev CT. So it's G A M E D E V C T dot org. So go check that out and get in touch with the folks from Game Dev CT and get connected with Bernard and see what they're doing if you want to get involved. So um, Ellen, I want to go to you. We're going to wrap this up, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about the program um, that you offer for students and um, any sort of advice you might have for students interested in, in becoming game programmers or just working with games and some aspect. Yeah, so we have a four-year undergraduate program in game development, and it's very, very experiential and hands-on based. So the idea is that we bring in anyone with no technical skills of any kind, uh, any art skills or audio skills or programming skills that you have in advance are wonderful. But if you don't have those, that's fine too. We'll teach you everything you need to know. Uh, the way the program works is we we teach um, a variety of different skills, and then you have enormous freedom in terms of the games that you build and the things that you want to do with those skills. So we have a website too. It's games.qu.edu. Uh, so I encourage people to go visit that. That gives you a lot of information about our program and our curriculum and our faculty but one of the best things about our program is that we really have a focus on experiential learning. So as I said, we've sent several of our students to work in Kim's lab, and they've had very rewarding experiences there. There's also a company called Spheregen in New Haven that does a lot of game-based, game-related, game-similar simulation training and modeling programs. And there actually are quite a few other organizations within the state that are working on using games. So you know the big um, uh, companies like Sikorsky and Electric Boat and other big companies that are training people to use complex machines, all of them can use, you know, game-based training as part of their, uh, of their company. And, and many different groups that are interested in, in targeted behavior change also might be interested in this area as well. We also support students who want to build their own game company. So if you have a really great idea for a game and then you come into our program and you build it, uh, we have an entrepreneurship center and an innovation center that can help you get your business together and off the ground so that you can actually have a business before you finish school. So there are lots of opportunities there. And so it seems like for students listening, it's not just you know programming. I mean, there are entrepreneurial opportunities, right? There's there are all these different aspects to building a gaming community that are more than just um, you know, the programming side. So I think that's probably important to keep in mind. So if you enjoy playing games, but maybe the programming is not your thing, maybe the business side is something that could be, you could be interested in. So Kim, what about you? Just final thoughts. Uh, we do have to wrap up. I just want to give you an opportunity to talk more about your program and, and if there are opportunities for students who would be curious to intern, what, what that process would be like for them. Yeah, so we're um, my lab is actually centered in the Yale Center for Health and Learning Games, and we also have a sister lab, the Play for Re or the Play to Prevent Lab, um, and we bring in a lot of students, um, um, both high school and undergrad. And I think the unique thing about what we can offer is the is that like Bernard and Elena were talking about, you know, that this kind of 
idea of games expands beyond just entertainment, um, where we can kind of offer opportunities to really kind of see how research fits into uh, games and how, you know, again, working with teens and, and young adults from building games from the bottom up, how that, what that looks like and going into the community and how, you know, all of that kind of partnership with communities and schools uh, actually kind of work with building games. So if you're really interested in serious games, you know, having a partnership or, or working interning with us will kind of give you that maybe a little bit of an edge kind of after you've completed your, um, your, your degree in, in programming, um, um, game design uh, that you'll have some experience there uh, with series games. Yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to add, uh, and indeed, there's more to to games than just programming and, and artists and uh, like art, creating artwork. Um, so for Game Dev City, we're also looking for an intern um, to assist us in, in kind of uh, yeah mapping more the games industry landscape and and uh, reaching out to various party parties to grow. Uh, our organization as well. So it, it, there's definitely opportunities uh, uh, outside of just programming and artwork. It's probably good to keep in mind for anybody thinking about a, a career in the gaming industry. And I think, uh, to Kim, to your point, gaining an edge is probably, in any industry, is probably uh, the way to go because as the industry gains in popularity certainly the competition for those jobs probably becomes increasingly competitive so take advantage of those opportunities out there i want to thank bernard francois elena bertozzi and kim hefia for joining us on select ct thank you so much for your time thank you it was a pleasure thank you on the next episode of select ct we're going to be talking about design thinking with three people from ibm mark wasneski martin mishashik and lauren chula so please join us Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Our producer is Justin Matley. Matt Werwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David Roche. Thanks for listening. Select CT.